0: This is part two of episode 11 of Camden Cast with Mark Brown and Andrew Gibson. This was recorded on September the 8th, 2011. We've got about 20 more minutes where we talk about war, winds above replacement. Joining you in progress, we hope you enjoy. So, we're going to kind of return to the stat of the podcast for this time. And our stat of this podcast, which is kind of topical because it's been a topic of discussion among several baseball blogs this week and last week is war wins above replacement, which is a, it's not even really a stat, it's, I don't know, what is there a word that describes what war is?
1: It's, it's sort of, it, it's kind of like a framework for a stat, which I I would guess that most people, they just look up on Fangraphs real quick what a guy's war is. And it says war, so that must be war, but it's not. That's just, it's an implementation of the framework using specific stats. Um, But uh, wins above replacement, actually wins above replacement player, it used to be called Warp. I sort of miss that, right? Because like... then you
0: can make all the Star Trek jokes. Although I know you're more of a Star Wars guy than Star Trek, but
1: yeah, that's true. But still, you could still make those jokes. Um. But it is it, it's actually very simple, and I think it gets over overplayed. Sort of like you're walking into your first calculus class, and you expect it to be overwhelming and. It's the first class, and it's obviously not that overwhelming. <clears throat> but it's just it's trying to factor in what a player does on offense, plus what he does on defense. And then there's two, uh, I guess, relatively new concepts that are brought about through war. And the one is a positional adjustment, which is just saying... For example, there are a lot more people in the world who can play first base. So the talent pool there is much wider. And that makes the offensive level of production necessary higher, if you're following me. Sure. Versus players who can play shortstop. So that makes players who can play shortstop more valuable players who can play first base.
0: And my understanding is it's basically like catcher, shortstop, and center field that get the big adjustments. And coincidentally, those are the three Orioles with the highest war value at, at this moment. Right. Not I think counting today's the... stats because they aren't updated yet. Matt Wieters has the most with 3.6, which is it's okay, but for comparison, oh. the most war... I don't know who has the most war, actually, but
1: it, well, on fangrass, I believe right now it's Jacoby Ellsbury. I am not sure what his actual rating is. but Oh um, yeah, his
0: is 8.1, so that's really, really good.
1: Right. The Orioles don't have the, any really,
0: really good players. So yeah, One surprised. of the things
1: that's been really smart about what the Orioles have tried to do is building those up-the-middle positions. And I don't know if that's just, they sort of took it as it came to them, like... They didn't go out of their way to draft Matt Weeders. He was there, and they drafted him. Um, but they did go out of their way to get a center fielder in Adam Jones, and they did go out of their way to get a good shortstop in J.J. Hardy. And building those up-the-middle positions as your core makes sense because those are the hardest positions to get really good players at. Those
0: are the skill positions, for sure.
1: But, I mean... I think when you you look at a WAR score on all of these different competing teams and their core players like that, and they might not necessarily be their up the middle players, but their core, their high WAR players are all doing a lot better than sub four on Fangraphs. So you you sort of look at the core of the Orioles and say, well it makes sense what you're trying to do, but it's not really working out yet.
0: And one of the things that James Feldman will talk about is that the Orioles need to get, you know, two or three of those star level players because you're not going to get as much when you're cobbling together a bunch of, say, three war level players, which is really more of an average kind of major league player than rather than a star.
1: Right. Um, the other concept inherent to wins above replacement player is the replacement player part of it, obviously, which is um, basically the idea is a replacement player is the level of production at that position that you can get for the major league minimum.
0: So if somebody got Alder, hurt, you a- would a- call a-, a guy up from Triple A, and that's... Theoretically going to be your replacement player. Although, in the case of the Orioles, those uh, so-called replacement players actually have negative war values.
1: Well, I w- uh, you look at a guy like Brandon Snyder. He's a replacement level player.
0: Blake Davis, Ryan Adams, all these guys have zero right. zero war. So they are, for all intents and purposes, uh, the replacement player. So... Craig Tatum you know, also it, it, is a replacement it, player. Go figure. He's zero.
1: Well, you know, backup catcher, you don't expect to get a lot of excess value out of those guys.
0: <clears throat> Craig Tatum but, is zero and more, but he's number one in our backup catcher hearts.
1: I'm still waiting for the tater from Tatum.
0: Yeah, I don't think it's going to
1: That no. will be the day. But uh, when you look at things with with wins above replacement, it's not supposed to be like an exact estimate. And I think one of the huge problems with it is even with our advanced defensive metrics, whichever one you want to use, there's a sample size issue at work. So you're judging guys on what amounts to a wildly fluctuating set of defensive plays, which doesn't necessarily accurately reflect their true talent level. For example, um, we can look at Mark Reynolds, who's had a horrible season at third base. I don't think anybody can argue that. So is
0: he still on pace to have the worst defensive season that anyone has ever had ever?
1: Um, yes, but that's sort of because he's changed positions. Right, that's true.
0: stop bleeding so a little bit, maybe.
1: Right. Um. So we'll see. He's just, I. I think no matter you don't have to use defensive metrics with him. Just watch him play, and you can tell he doesn't have a lot of range. He doesn't have a very accurate arm. He struggles on all kinds of plays.
0: Right, he but, misses things with the glove that are just very look like they're very easy for a major leaguer.
1: But if you if you use just errors or um, the uh, the. Baseball Info Solutions ranks good fielding plays and defensive misplays, or if you use their plus-minus or UZR or fielding percentage or range or whatever, like he's not going to come out looking good. He's going to come out looking really, really bad. Like, worst player in baseball bad, defensively. But I don't think that necessarily means he is the worst defensive player in baseball. I think he's probably substantially below average at third base and has been on what amounts to like a cold streak in 2011. So that will lower his total war rating because his defense numbers look horrible. The problem though with Mark Reynolds in particular is you look at the positional adjustment and they're moving him to first because they finally decided his defensive third isn't going to play. And it's not. But the the because of the positional adjustment, because the offensive bar at first base is so much higher, it sort of cancels out whatever value you're gaining by helping his defense out.
0: Right. And Mark Reynolds right now has a 0.8 war in spite of all of his offensive contributions. contributions. So, yeah, that's not a very good war number.
1: I mean we sort of have to play the hand that we're dealt and you can't keep them at third base. Uh, certainly you you just can't. But um, I mean, here I wrote down the, in 2011 in all of major league baseball at third base, the average OPS is 700 at third base. And at first base, it's almost 800. So that's what I'm talking about. Mark Reynolds has an 800 OPS right now. He has, he, he actually has a, um, like an 815, I think.
0: So he goes from being a much better than average, uh, bat third baseman to, you know, an shrug average. your shoulders, okay, he's just like everybody else first baseman.
1: Right, and additionally, because the talent field at first is so much larger than it is at third, you have that utility cost. You can't replace him with a better first baseman, or a cheaper first baseman or anything like that if you're playing him at first. So that weighs him down, too. Um, So, you know, he is a really good hitter. I think he's got the highest OPS on the Orioles. But uh,
0: he has the most home runs that an Oriole has hit since sure. Aubrey Huff in 2008. 32. And
1: that's that he's a great hitter. Well, he's a good hitter but he's not a good player. And I think that's where we start talking about the framework of wins above replacement is trying to measure these guys totally add in their, their base running, add in their defense, add in what position they play and try to get a sum of how good of a baseball player is he versus uh, just how good of a hitter is he. And I think if you look at like the historical MVP voting, Baseball has been largely run by who is the best hitter. You know, defensive analysis of players, just maybe it's just in the media and maybe it was not in the teams as much until we started recently to realize that defensive players have huge amounts of value, that it's just not obvious because it's not in their batting line. But traditionally, there's there's a lot of first baseman and corner outfielders who have hit really, really well, who have garnered a lot of attention, even though they necessarily aren't the best players on the field.
0: Right, they just put up the gaudy stats that aren't hugely above their peers, but they look like they are for whatever reason.
1: And and the other important thing with that is they get paid the most money. Like, look at Mark Teixeira, who's making... 20 plus million dollars a year to be a good first baseman. I would say an above average first baseman, but he's certainly not one of the best players in baseball, not in whatever elite company is payroll wise. Right. And with Mark Reynolds, we have the same problem in Baltimore because next year he's going to be the third highest paid player on the team playing in the, maybe a below average first base or just being a below average player because he's batting an average first base and his defense isn't going to suddenly become great just because he moved to first.
0: So, so that's war in the Orioles. It's yeah. uh so one thing about that stat is it's hard to really measure like kind of what a number says, like, so we were talking about Jacoby Ellsbury having an 8.1 war, but that doesn't mean he's twice as good of a player as a player with a 4.0 war or something like that. It's just, right. you know, it might be, it may I mean, it is kind of a crude comparison, but it might be like the Earthquake, the Saffir-Simpson scale, every one is like more of an exponential jump than rather than a linear one, but even that's not quite... The case but it takes a different skill set to get up to like a four war and then you have to have another jump in skill set to get to like a six and then eight is really awesome but the orioles don't have any eight guys
1: well obviously the point is to turn this into a straight scale and put it on the level of actual wins you know so
0: say like- yeah okay or give but, it a 1 to 100, since humans just love 100 scales.
1: Right, sure. Um, there was an article written on a Yankee blog, actually, called It's About the Money, Stupid, sent, making basically that exact point this past week, saying, we can't use this stat and say well, Matt Weeders is three times the player Robert Andino is. Like, we can't make that with any accuracy, even though that is what war says. So, like, there was that, and then there was, like, a counter-argument that nobody is trying to use it that way, except for, perhaps, people who don't know what they're doing with the stat. Um, So, it's... It's a starting point of conversation, basically. I think you get up to a certain level with these guys and you say, like, for example, Matt Wieters, 3.6, J.J. Hardy, 3.4. That's the same. Then you can argue all day over which one is better based on their hitting and their defense and whatever else.
0: So another thing that war is tough for is it doesn't really pass what I would call the dad test, which is that... If I try and explain it to my dad, he's not going to understand it. And my dad, you know, he grew up with baseball, and he knows a fair amount about baseball. He doesn't follow as closely as I do. But, like, you know, the stats he grew up with, they're stuff that's kind of not in vogue now, like pitcher wins and RBIs and, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: you know. So it's enough of a challenge to try and explain to my dad why you want to look at somebody's on-base percentage instead of look at their batting average. And there's no way I'm going to be able to try and get this abstract war concept and say, well, you know, this says this player's worth the most, and that's that's I think that's another problem with war that it needs to kind of be more accessible. More accessible. That's exactly right. Easier to understand what it's trying to say, what it does say, doesn't say.
1: And that's perfectly fair. The implementations of it are impossible to explain in a way that makes any sense. But the main, there's really two main takeaways from the overall gist of it. One is count defense because defense matters. Defense is hugely important. Yep. And take the position into account. Basically. When you're trying to raid a player, just make sure you take take his defense into account and take his position into account.
0: So there's don't your, get too bogged down primer, in the math of it, which was a primer for me in some ways. Cause I am vaguely aware of war, but I don't supremely understand it. So if you don't either don't feel bad because we are, we are rubes together. You and I, not Andrew, you, but you, whoever's listening. So, Oh, wow, well, I guess it's time for us to wrap things up. Andrew, what are your final thoughts on the Orioles at this point in time? September well, 8th, 2011.
1: It was exciting to see them win today, or Thursday, yesterday, as the time may be, with the exciting extra innings walk-off win in their one-game series with the Yankees. And thank goodness we'd never have to see them again. But uh, Until 2012, uh, anyway. Yeah. Ultimately, uh, all that's... It's hard to get too excited about it for me. So what I am excited about is the Frederick Keys in the playoffs for the second street year in the Carolina league. And they won game one. They were rained out tonight. So they're still sitting on a one game advantage.
0: What are they? Best of five in the single A? Best of three?
1: It is best of five and it's two rounds. Okay. And the last time the Keys won, the championship it's called the mills cup in the carolina league uh Corey spoon actually was on the mound he threw the game of his life in the championship deciding game
0: and the orioles actually have like prospects on frederick which is yeah. uh, kind of a shocking concept <laughs> jonathan well, scope is on frederick i believe and Manny machado, machado made his way up to frederick and Whoever else, I don't even know.
1: Well, there's a couple of organizational pitchers that are kind of leading the way. Guys like Rick Zagone. Bobby Bundy, uh, Dylan Bundy's brother, was on the Keys, but got promoted to Bowie, and he's done for the year, along with everybody else who's not the Keys.
0: Uh,
1: I think a Japanese pitcher, who's a real org guy because he's like thirty one thirty two years old his name's uh Tanaka I
0: think yes
1: he's down he's gonna start game three or four so it's there's a couple of interesting guys, and then there's a couple of guys who it's like well, let's just go and win a championship with these sort of ringer guys
0: well, that so, still's gotta feel good so go uh, go yeah, go scope I'm, and go I'm for him, so for sure so yeah, I guess now I need to have a final thought. I don't know. My final thought is I would like to see Zach Britton close out the year strong. Give us something to feel good about going into the uh, end of the offseason with the player who's going to be a part of this club in the future. So
1: He's, good. He's had a good season.
0: Yeah. So it would be good to see him continue that rather than totally yeah, fall finish apart. Strong. That, that's my final thought. Zach Britton finished strong for sure. Well, Mark? Well, Andrew, it's been fun, as always. Oh! We're starting to read each other's minds here, I guess. Yep. (laughs) But that's all we have for you this time. Perhaps we'll even make good of our promise to do a week podcast every week now, instead of we say that we're going to do that and we don't.
1: I I like the we'll say and then we'll see.
0: We'll say, but we'll see. That's exactly right. So, that is all for us for this time, whenever next time is. Stay dry. Stay dry, for sure. So, for Andrew Gibson, I am Mark Brown. We are bringing you Camden Cast. This is Birdland, and we're out.